Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Not Your Puppies Podcast. I'm your host for the night, Carmen. Nauda, y'all. You got that Did text and accent going on. It's hanging out with you so much. I, had the, I liked you better when you lived in Tampa. I didn't have to use these ridiculous words. I blame and, this on you. I blame all my problems on you. And you know what? I'm okay with taking the responsibility because I feel like I am rubbing off on you. But I just don't understand how because I don't have a Texan accent. Oh. Hey, y'all. Hi, y'all. How no, you, you know, doing? You know, what's funny is watching when I was watching Game of Thrones, I was like starting to like uh, just talk randomly to Brandon in, a, in an English accent. He's like, I'm just he's like, you're five minutes deep into speaking to me with a British accent. And I'm like scared just accept it baby just shut the hell up and just take it <laughs> well i don't know if you remember this or not but a couple of years ago i went through like this binge of colombian novelas which since no es my paraíso uh pablo escobar el patron del mal um rosario tijeras and like i was watching these like colombian novelas like back to back to back to back every every fucking day uh -huh. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, are, are you Colombian? Where, where are you from? Like, ¿dónde eres? And I'd be like, um, Mexico and Chihuahua. And people would be like, you don't sound like you're Mexican. <laughs> and I remember one time I was at my friend Dominic's graduation party and I was talking to them. I was like so into the conversation. And then my friend uh, Dominic's friend was also there. And she asked me, she's like, where are you from? You sound so exotic. And I was like, what are you talking about? We're all Mexican here. <laughs> You're like, de la Sierra de Chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, India de Chihuahua. Yeah, and, um, but it's funny because that it does happen to you. I, I, I heard that it's like this like specific phenomena of like where you, you start to relate like unconsciously. Like we're not pulling a Madonna. We're not here trying to be like, we're British. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe we look here. Who knows? Maybe are I we, look here. Are we know. the millennial Madonnas? Are we the problem? Mm, not like a virgin? Or am mm. I like a virgin? I am totally a virgin. Especially, you hear that? Oh, yeah, 100%. I love it. The last of my truly. Yes. Dude, my Christmas shopping is almost done. And I'm fucking excited. You're trying to say you're better than me. Did I? Is I that what I you, said? I think you did. I think you're judging me. I feel very judged. I, I would never judge you. I love you and I accept you as you are. With my fuckery and all? With all of your fuckery. Okay. And your Texan accent. That's saying a lot about me. It is saying a lot about you. It's saying a lot about me too. I need to go to therapy. Don't we all? What was yeah. the last time you went to therapy? Um, good question. Uh, probably like in February. Okay. And and I told I, I completely lied. I didn't like my therapist, Laura. Have you ever like not liked your therapist? Yeah. 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 So I, when I first started therapy, um, I loved. I loved her so much and I didn't think I was like gonna like therapy or whatever because I don't like really talking about myself too too much but um I I really really enjoyed her input I really liked when she challenged me and she challenged me in like in the non mm, she wasn't trying to patronize me right she was challenging me like to think about things that I had like considered really enjoyed that experience um and then when I went back last year um i i had a really hard time kind of like vibing with this chick and i was like well, we'll give it a couple of sessions three sessions but the funny part here was like she wasn't charging me in the beginning um we were just going i was just taking my sessions and i guess what really ticked me off was like oh yeah by the way you haven't paid any sessions since we started and i'm like girl i've been asking you I've been asking you. So by the end of, so I think I started like in November and by like February, I owed her like 400 bucks. And I was just like, realistically, I'm probably not going to come back. 
And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't have that kind of money, dude. I've been asking you how much I'm going to pay. And I was like, this is perfect. This is, I don't like breaking people's or hurting people's feelings anyway. I was like, this is a great way to like not go back to therapy with this woman. Cause I didn't have the heart to tell that she kind of, I don't know if it was, cause it's, I don't even think it was like a whiteness thing. I think it was like, cause my first therapist was white, but I think it was just, it was a very, I didn't feel sincere to me. I don't know. I don't know. So your first therapist was white, but the second one was also white. Okay. So I was so, like, maybe she's white, but it's not, it wasn't that. I don't know. I can't put I a mean, finger on it. I could see that because um, when it comes to my medical care, I prefer not going with white um, practitioners, whether I be a gynecologist, doctor, whatever. My most horrible pra- experiences in the medical field, including my therapies, have been with um, white practitioners. And that's not saying that white practitioners don't know how how to do their job. They don't understand. I just feel they don't they don't understand people of color. They don't understand women of color. Yeah. And my experiences have been very invalidated. I've been extremely invalidated with some of my issues. They're like, oh, it's because you have Spanish heritage. Oh, it's because you have indigenous heritage. And I'm just like, what the fuck does that have to do with what I'm what's going on in my body right now at this moment? Like, you know what it would be for me? I wish they would tell me something like that. I think I'd be able to understand or be okay with it. They would tell me stupid things like, you need to set boundaries with your parents. And I'm like, bitch, I'm Mexican. We don't set, ba- we don't know about boundaries. We're not, yeah. edu- <laughs> like, we, we like boundaries is like, boundaries? I, I talk to you once a week or you know what I mean? Like that's my parents would be so offended if I put boundaries. Like that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking yeah. to set boundaries. I'm, 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 I'm I want to fix help. others. Yeah. I want help with me managing who my family is. Yeah. Right. And I'm not going to cut them off. I'm sorry. That's just not how Mexicans vibe. So why do you think it's, and, and I've seen this, I feel like every episode we've talked about TikTok, but that's what we do. You guys We're obsessed with TikTok. Me and Carmen are TikTokers. Follow us, whatever. Don't follow us. I'm not a TikToker. I watch TikTok. I'm a. Yeah, we watch the show. I, I'm a TikToker. I, I post some shit. I, I usually post restaurants, like cool restaurants from where I'm, where I'm at at the moment. Um, but anyways, I've been noticing on TikTok, there's a huge trend with um white people uh talking about how they've um cut family members off like like their mothers their fathers and to me it's like what you you can do that because i've i've gone through that where i cut off like some of my aunties some of my cousins just because some of their the things that they're going through in their life are way let's say right and I'm way left and I just know I'm not at a headspace or the energy or the moment to pull up with put up with what's going on or their energy or whatever they do I get that part but I'm just like how is it so easy for you guys to just like cut your mom out of your life not invite your mom to your wedding not invite your to me imagining my mom not being there when I gave birth or imagining my mom not being there when any milestone has happened in my life would break my fucking heart. And exactly. I think it does more harm to you personally than it does to, um, then it fixes you. I, I support people who have the courage to be able to cut off toxic people because I'm not going to lie. Even doesn't matter what culture you're in, right? Like you are going to have toxic people around and it's admirable that you can recognize that and good for you. However, like I know my family isn't toxic like that. Like, it's just cultural, right? It's just, I am very, I'm very liberal. I have very leftist views and sometimes it doesn't align with my families. Um, there's a pressure, right? Of being a Mexican daughter, being a good Mexican daughter. You have to be a good Mexican mom. You have to know how to cook. You have to be clean. You have to be everything. It's just like, it's exhausting and I'm none of those things. So then it gives me that sense of like, am I not good enough? Do I deserve a healthy relationship because I don't know how to cook? Do I not deserve it? You know? Um, and so it's like little things like that, you know, but it's not like my parents are bad people it's more it's mostly like it's just different generations and when 
a therapist tells me, well, you need to set your boundaries with your family. I'm like, no woman, you're not understanding. <laughs> like I, I need to be okay with my messiness. I need to be okay with the fact that I can't cook rice to save my life and accept that and know that I'm still worthy. My parents aren't going to change and I'm not going to cut them off because it's going to do more damage to my son and to myself. But it's just that they don't get it. They really don't get it. Like the cultural difference. Um, My favorite gynecologist was a lady, a black lady from Africa. My favorite therapist was my therapist from Florida. She's also black. Um, my favorite general practitioner was this Cuban lady. Um, unfortunately, I lost her and I'm so sad. <laughs> but um, I, I've had that where the cultural difference is so intense. You just know it's not going to work out for you. So if we t- if we've told you guys during this podcast, be very intelligent in who you choose to be your life partner. I'm going to reiterate it and say it even more. Like it's even more important, like the most important to make sure as a female that your gynecologist, your general practitioner, your therapist are people you can have a wholesome relationship with. They are not leave them because you are not helping them. They're not helping you. They will have other patients. You're not their only patient, but you need someone who will help you. Mm -hmm. Don't keep on going back to that person, expecting a different result. Look for another medical person. Look for another therapist, right? Um, I've gone therapist shopping. Mm-hmm. I've gone therapist. For me, having a therapist that understands my needs is the most the important. Therapist, I think the therapist is is different, though, right? Like the relationship. Well, the yeah, the professional relationship you have with the therapist is very different, and you do need to have that. Um, you need to be comfortable with them. I, I, I could care less about my everybody else. I'm like, vale madre. Like, I'll see you later. You're perfect. Are you flaunting that you're perfect to me right now? No, I'm flaunting that I can care less, which is an issue that I should find a good therapist to help me work through. But um, I think therapy, though, therapy was like the first time that I really, really saw it. I I feel like anybody in the medicine, in my experience, has been judgy and in different ways. And I've come to my gynecologist, who's really cool, and he's a dude. Um, But other than him, everybody else, I've never had a good um, like a good vibe with any kind of practitioner. I just kind of go and do my thing. And I'm like, am I sick? No, you're good. I'm like, okay, then leave me alone in my 20 pounds of excess weight. Like, don't bring it up. I don't care. Like, what the fuck is a BMI? And why are we talking about this? How do I eat her? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, wait, you told what me. What type of cake is that? My blood results are perfect. Like, I'm fine. Like, why do you care that I'm 20 pounds heavier than I should? Shut up. Get away from me. Don't yeah. talk to me. I'm sorry. I'm going to go home and drink wine right after this. So what? What is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, more than anything, thank you guys for joining us in our therapy segment of Not Your Puppies podcast. And we hope that you guys are having fabulous holidays and you guys are getting the Christmas shopping done. I'm looking at all the Carmens out there. Or not, because it's okay. You know, do it the mm. day before. It's okay. The Lauras of the world will judge you. And cheers to that. So tell, tell me the story, <laughs> Laura, because... I already so, feel wait, judged. Before we get started, I do want to remind people, should you have any um, woman you want us to cover about, please feel free to send us suggestions at notyourpoppiespodcast at gmail.com, at notyourpoppiespodcast on Instagram, and at notyourpoppiespod on Twitter. So we are now live in Twitter. We're trying to get that set up, get it going. Um, it is me and Carmen and Fernando <laughs> doing 
doing this out of the goodness of our hearts, you guys. Uh, but we really want to get out as much um, information to you guys as all. We do have a list of people that of suggestions you've already sent. And I promise we're going to get to them. Um, so if this is not your episode, don't worry. We have other episodes coming. We have your suggestions. We're going to get to them as soon as possible. Stick with us. But we do ask you to send more suggestions in because we never want to run out of content. But with that being said, drum roll, please. Um, I'm super excited for my uh, story today. Because this is a fucking badass. When I tell you, I am pissed. I didn't learn about her in my history class. I didn't learn about her till now in my 29th year on Earth alive. Let me tell you guys, you will be pissed along with me because this woman, this lady was a fucking badass. I don't have any other word for her. So well, are you ready? This is why you have this podcast now, my dear. So we can mm. share these stories. Look at that. Worked out. It's perfect because now you guys get to hear me talk. All right. So. Picture this. It's June 17th, 1876. We're in Montana Territory during the Great Sioux War of 1876, also known as the Battle of the Rosebud, where the Cheyenne tribe and the Lakota Sioux tribes have allied under the leadership of Crazy Horse. The tribes have been retreating and they left the wounded chief comes in sight on the battlefield. All of a sudden, this woman comes riding out onto the battlefield at full speed, grabs the wounded chief, and carries him to safety. Her courageous rescue caused the Cheyenne to rally, and they ended up defeating General George Crook and the U.S. Army, along with their Crow and Shoshone allies. Ooh, great storytelling. Thank you. My Starting to call my inner Carmen out. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, this amazing, um, amazing, I'm sorry. The wine is getting to me and I can't speak. English is not my first language. This amazing, courageous woman was none other than the Buffalo Calf Road woman. Now, Seeing her brother, Chief comes in sight, wounded and abandoned, she gathers all her bravery and strength to save him and ends up helping her people win the war. In honor of Buffalo Calf Road Woman, the Cheyenne called the Battle of the Rosebud the fight where the girl saved her brother. Captain Anson Mills, who fought alongside General Crook, quoted the impressive skills of the tribe warriors. They were the best cavalry soldiers on earth. In charging up towards us, they exposed little of their person, hanging on with one arm around the neck and one leg over the horse, firing and lancing from underneath the horse's necks so that there was no part of the Indian at which we could aim. Hmm. Well, those sound like some fierce warriors to me. I like that. Now, what led to this war? So we're, we're going to talk about the history now. Okay. Now, after the Red Clouds War and the signing of the Treaty of Fort Laramie in 1868, the Lakota and Northern Cheyenne tribes were forced onto an allocated reservation. Now, that included Black Hills in Dakota Territory and a large area in what eventually became Montana and Wyoming. The area was open to all natives and non-natives alike, except for U.S. government officials, they were forbidden to pass through. In 1874, gold was discovered in Black Hills, causing the U.S. government to want to buy back Black Hills from the tribes. In 
So the U.S. ordered all tribes of Lakota and Cheyenne to negotiate a sale by January of 30, January 31st of 1876. Now, a few of the tribes did not agree when the deadline passed. And the U.S., being the U.S., started to force their way into the reservation. Their first military expedition in March of 1876 ended in the Battle of Powder River, which the U.S. lost. Now, not ready to give up and admit defeat, in June of 1876, the U.S. military divided into three different sections to try and overpower the tribes and invade the Bighorn and Powder River country. So, we are going back to the Buffalo Calf Road Woman. So what we know of Buffalo Calf Road Woman is mainly through her people keeping her memory and history alive. Buffalo Calf Road Woman is said to have also fought at the Battle of Little Bighorn, known to the Lakota and other Plains Indians as the Battle of the Greasy Grass. It was an armed engagement between combined forces of the Lakota Sioux, Northern Cheyenne, and Arpajo tribes, and the 7th Cavalry Regiment of the United States. Now, the battle, which resulted in the defeat of the U.S. 7th Cavalry, which was a force of 700 men, commanded by Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer, Armstrong Custer, was the most significant action of the Great Sioux War of 1876. So that took place from June 25th to 26th of 1876. The fight was an overwhelming victory for the Lakota, Northern Cheyenne, and the Arpajo, who were led by several major war leaders, including Crazy Horse and Chef, uh, Chief Gall, and had been inspired by the visions of Sitting Bull. It is said that Buffalo Calf Road Woman, being a fierce warrior herself, fought alongside her husband, Black Coyote. So I'm telling you, this, this lady, this woman is a badass. So we're fast forwarding. June 2005. So in June 2005, the Northern Cheyenne broke their more than 100 years of silence about the battle. In a public recounting of Cheyenne oral history of the battle, tribal storytellers spoke of how it was Buffalo Calf Road Woman who had struck the blow that knocked Custer off his horse before he died in the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Moreover, in June of 2017, in an article for Mental Floss, Wallace Burkham, Director of Tribal Services for the Northern Cheyenne, mentions how Buffalo Calf Road Woman was an excellent markswoman, but it was a club-like object she used and not a gun to knock General Custer off his horse. Goddamn. Mm, yeah. I'm saying, and I'm going to put this to a vote, that we should bring back club-like objects in an event of a war. So everyone in favor, say aye. I say, um, uh, let's bring a mobile castration, but that's just my opinion. That, you know, depending <laughs> on the situation, I might agree with you. <laughs> so now... The Battle of the Little Bighorn also had a hard impact on the natives. It was the beginning of the end of the Indian Wars and has even been referred to as the Indians' last stand in the area. So within the 48 hours of the battle, the large encampment on the Little Bighorn broke up into smaller groups because there was not enough game and grass to sustain such a large congregation of people and horses. So the scattered Sioux and Cheyenne feasted and celebrated during July with no threats from the U.S. soldiers. And after their celebrations, many of the natives returned to, this, to the reservation so soon the number of the warriors amounted to only about 600. Now, unwilling to venture out against the Sioux and the Cheyenne until they had at least 2,000 men, 
the U.S. finally took the field against the native forces in August, where General Nelson A. Mills took command of the effort in October of 1876. In May of 1877, Sitting Bull escaped to Canada, and within days, Crazy Horse surrendered at Fort Robinson, Nebraska. The Great Sioux War ended on May 7th of 1877 with defeat of the remaining band of the Minkonju Sioux. After surrendering to the U.S., Buffalo Calf Road Woman, her husband Black Coyote, and their two children were relocated with most of the Northern Cheyennes to the Southern Cheyenne Reservation in Indiana Territory, which is actually present-day Oklahoma. In September of 1878, she and uh, so her and her family, they were a part of the Northern Cheyenne Exodus, which was a breakout from the Oklahoma Reservation to their home in Montana. So basically, this was a group of people who had been relocated to Oklahoma who were now wanting to go back to Montana. So on their way back, her husband shot and killed a Cheyenne chief named Black Crane. And their family, which totaled about eight people, was banished from the Little Wolf's band of Cheyennes. So after this, Black Coyote, her husband, and two other Cheyenne men attacked two U.S. soldiers along the Mispah Creek in Montana. They ended up killing one of the soldiers, and more soldiers came from Fort, Fort Kilg, and hunted the family down. So they ended up capturing them five days later on April 10th of 1879. And this event became known as the Mispah Creek Incidents. So the small group was taken to Mile City, Montana, where the three men, including Black Coyote, were tried for murder and scheduled to be executed on June 8th, 1879. While her husband was in prison, Buffalo Calf Road woman actually died of uh, diphtheria or malaria. Um, so the exact reason is not known. But in May of 1879 at Miles uh, City, Montana is when she died. When her husband, Black Coyote, ended up learning of this, he hung himself in the prison. Hmm. True love. And... Hmm. She's also known as Buffalo Calf Trail Woman. Now, back to our history lesson. Ownership of the Black Hills, which has been a focal point of the 1876 conflict, was determined by an ultimatum issued by the Manny Penny Commission, according to which the Sioux were required to cede the land to the United States if they wanted the government to continue supplying rations to the reservations. Threatened with forced starvation, the natives seceded Pahasapa to the United States, but the Sioux never accepted the legitimacy of the transaction. They lobbied Congress to create a forum to decide their claim and subsequently litigated for 40 years. The United States Supreme Court in 1980 decision between United States First and Sioux Nation of Indians acknowledged that the United States had taken the Black Hills without just compensation. The Sioux refused the money subsequently offered and continue to insist on their right to occupy the land. And me as a non-judge of the United States of America, have declared that they do have right to the land and we should give it back to them today. And that is on um, your Bobby's podcast history lesson. We are judges now. So here, here, that is now the law of the land and the Sioux have every right back to their land. As they should, Queen, as they should. Cheers to that. Yes. Great story. I can see why you're upset that we never learned that. Tell me she's not a fucking badass. Badass. All fucking we heard, all I knew about, honestly, like I remember learning about Pocahontas in history class in like the third grade. And I was, when I tell you, I was really mad that it wasn't the the Disney version. I was very mad. And I was like, no, where is John Smith? Where is the hummingbird? Where is the raccoon? 
where's the talking tree (laughs) where's the talking tree like give me more so these are the type of stories that we should hear more about and talk about like romantic and like appropriate age appropriate so let, let me tell you how far my um leftist ideology goes uh yesterday i was helping my son with his homework and his um homework is specifically about turkeys and the history of turkeys and blah 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 you know female turkeys male turkeys uh but one of the the stories is a turkey is a semblance of what the natives offered the pioneers on their first thanksgiving oh, no. Are they still doing i that? told him yeah and i told alberto i was like um you're not pioneers they're colonizers. I'm like, so should your teacher ask you what was going on? What do you say? These other colonizers. That's my boy. That's, your That's boy. my son. That is Alberto. Oh, I love him so much. So smart. Ay, ay, ay. I wonder what he's learning these days. I wonder what they're teaching him in first grade. Probably the same thing, huh? Our yeah. forefathers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we went through the history of George Washington, they're like, he had wooden teeth. I was like, no, he, no, the fuck he didn't. Aren't they like, like his, weren't they like slave teeth? Like, yeah, they were, like, they were teeth of the younger slaves that he had, yeah. that he owned, the enslaved people he owned. Yeah. Um, and so I, I made very sure and clearly to um, teach this subject to both of my children. And what I love about um, when we were in Florida, my uh my daughter ariana she had this uh german teacher and uh ariana's been in gifted since like first grade and so she's always been given like bigger assignments and this teacher realized that i'm like super liberal so she starts giving ariana like all this information on um martin luther king jr who is ariana's like idol on Harriet Tubman, who Ariana like adores. Like when I started asking Ariana, I was like, who's your people in history? Harriet Tubman, mom, I want to know everything about her. Yes. And I'm just like, oh, like I've, I've never been prouder right now. So her teacher starts giving her all this information because she starts noticing that Ariana's wording is like, you know, very liberal because mom was influenced over here. And, um, and I was so proud. I was like, I love teachers like that. Like, I love teachers who are willing to teach the true history, not the whitewash, sweet version. No, I want the true fucking history given to my kids. I want them to know that these people, although they did, quote unquote, start our country, were not the best of people. They were horrible people. Well, with that segue, I'm going to tell you the story of a teacher who also, you know, taught kids and for better or worse, depending on what spectrum you fall on you know, made a huge impact. So um, this is a story of Jane Elliott. Give it to me. I'm excited already. (laughs) So uh, on the evening of April 4th, 1968 in Riceville, Iowa, Jane was preparing a class about Native Americans, actually. Um, uh, As Elliott was getting her, her stuff done, she turns on the television and learns about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., she says that as she's watching TV, she vividly remembers a scene where um, a white reporter points his microphone towards a local black leader and asks him, when our leader died, referring to John F. Kennedy, um, his widow held us together. Who's going to control your people? And that was like that moment where Jane is just like, oh my God, like, that was so wrong and so inappropriate to be asking, like, where, like, tone deaf. Remember, this is in this, this is 1968. So she decides to combine the lesson that she had already prepared for her students and to make it about also, um, and teach the kids something about Martin Luther King Jr. and what segregation feels like. So the next morning, um, her, as her students are walking in, one of them asks, Miss Elliot, why did they shoot that king? So Elliot kind of takes a moment. She steps back and she asks the class, like, hey, guys, would you guys like to learn what it feels to be a black boy or a black little girl? And as children do, cheer on to anything when you give excitement. They're like, Yeah. Um, 
she decides to teaching about um, segregation and discrimination and how it feels like in the United States. But she decides to base this um, this lesson off of instead of skin color, she couldn't because all the kids were white. She did it based off of eye color. Um, so what she did is she separated the kids who had blue eyes um, from the green from the green and uh, brown eyed kids. So Elliot pulls out this construction, this green construction paper, and uh, puts it around um, their neck kind of to like symbolize that you're different. She does this to the kids with blue eyes. Um, and she goes on to tell them, kids with brown eyes are better people. They just are. They're cleaner and they're smarter. Um, eye color, she continues, hair color, skin color is all caused by a chemical in, in somebody's body called melanin. Writes it in huge words on the blackboard. Melanin, she says, is caused is what causes intelligence. The more melanin a person has, the darker the person's eyes are, and the smarter the person is. So um, she starts giving out like these erroneous examples, and she starts comparing um, Peggy Sue with Johnny. And Peggy Sue brings her glasses, but Johnny never does. And Johnny has blue eyes. So guess what, guys? Hint, hint. And everybody's just like, "That makes sense, Mrs. Elliot." Um, you give them something nice, she continues, and they just wreck it. Um, and she starts kind of like beginning this division between the classes. She starts pointing out even the rules for the day. She says, from the rest of the day, the kids with blue eyes, they have to use paper cups um, if they want to drink from the fountain. And one of the kids with blue eyes is like, but why? And the kid with brown eyes is like, because you guys are dirtier because we might catch cooties if we drink from the same fountain. So you can like tell like that instantly. The kids knew the assignment and just rolled with it, especially if they had the brown eyes. And um, Elliot started observing that some of the kids who were the day before who were really smart and really bright didn't have the same focus they would the next day. And when Elliot would be like, Johnny, you knew this yesterday. Johnny would be like, well, not today. Now I'm stupid. Now I have blue eyes. I don't know anything. Um, in recess, kids had, um, the kids with brown eyes had longer recess and the kids with blue eyes had to go in earlier. The kids with brown eyes took this as an opportunity to call them like um, ugly words like bluey. And that just kind of like hurt their feelings and they were just meaner, nastier kids. So she goes back to, uh, during their lunchtime, she goes to the teacher's lounge and she sits, she sits down and she asks the other teachers, like, what are you guys doing in order to teach, you know, the kids a lesson about, you know, discrimination and what happened with um, Martin Luther King? And the rest of the teachers are like, nothing. We're not doing anything. Like we're not supposed to, it's not in the syllabus. And so Elliot leaves and is just like, has nothing to do with the syllabus. It's like the right thing to do. So um, she comes back and she starts seeing that, you know, she continues seeing these behaviors throughout the day. So she goes back the next day to school. She says, okay. She sits, she waits for all the kids to come back. And after her observations, she tells the kids after they're sitting down, she says, I had it all wrong, you guys. Kids are like, what? It's actually a lack of melanin that makes you smarter, not an excess of melanin. So with that being said, now the kids with the blue eyes are actually smarter. And again, she does the same thing all over again. She uh, she um, tells them that the kids with brown eyes are actually light, lazier because they're dirtier. They didn't put a plate away. So it all makes sense now. And Mrs. Elliot has blue eyes and she's a teacher. So, you know, she's, she has to be smart and that all just clicks into the rest of the kids. So she reverses the roles and she lets the, the kids with the blue eyes be superior. One of the biggest things that stood out to Elliot was that the kids with the blue eyes this time around weren't as aggressive as the kids with the brown eyes the day before. And what had to do a lot with it is because the kids with blue eyes already knew how ugly it felt and how sad it was to like, you know, be picked on and be bullied. So they weren't as hard, but there were still some exceptions. 
So then the following day, she sits the kids down and she's just like, all right, the exercise is over. And, uh, but we're doing this because we want to learn about what it feels like to be discriminated. I know you guys are safe, you guys are good, but um, with uh, the, the assassination of the king, I want you guys to kind of take that into consideration and write down what you guys learned from this exercise. So Debbie Hughes, one of her kids, um, writes, the people in Mrs. Elliot's room who had brown eyes got to discriminate against the people who had blue eyes. I have brown eyes. I felt like hitting them if I wanted to. I got to have five extra minutes of recess, but the next day when the tables were turned, I felt like quitting. I felt mad. That's what it feels like when you're discriminated against. I mean, that makes sense. So the compositions that the children wrote about the experience she collected all of them and she wrote an essay and they were um, printed on the Riceville recorder on April 4th. Um, I'm sorry, April 18th, 1968, under the headline, How Discrimination Feels. The story was picked up by the Associated Press. And as a result, Elliot was invited to appear on The Tonight's Show starring Johnny Carson. Uh, she spoke about her the exercise in a short interview segment and the audience reaction was instant. She got, they got a bunch of telephone calls to the switch, switchboard and much of it was real negative. Saying things like, how dare you try this cruel experiment out on white children? Black children grow up accustomed to this behavior, but white children, there's no way they could possibly understand it. It's cruel to white kids and it's gonna cause them great psychological damage. So that kind of goes on with what's happening right now about like critical race theory, how some people are so against it being taught in schools because of the effects it might have on white children. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, but you were never, never decades, centuries, of whitewashed version of history? Have you been concerned about children of color being taught that they have always been the lesser? Yeah, and and I don't even, I still don't get the argument why CRT is such a big deal, but I guess when you're of color, it's, it's like, it's great. It's perfect, but I guess it's appalling for the rest, right? And Elliot replies something along the lines of what you just said, right? Why are we so worried about the fragile egos of white children who experience a couple of hours of made-up racism? Um, when Blacks experience real racism every day of their lives. Yes, those days were tough um, for my students. Um, the children felt angry. They felt hurt, betrayed. But they returned to a better place, unlike a child of color who gets abused every day day and never has the ability to find him or herself in a nurturing classroom environment. Uh, and Miss Elliot is just spitting facts. So the publicity that Elliot gets, um, it just, it, it did not make her popular in Little Riceville. Uh, when she walks into the teacher's lounge the, the day after coming back, nobody wants to sit with her. Everybody just kind of keeps her their distance. Um, her kids started experiencing a lot of bullying in school. Uh, her daughter uh, went into the bathroom when she was in, in middle school and she came out of a stall and she sees like a like just hate speech written all over the windows and the and the mirrors calling her an end lover. So None of this stopped Elliot. She wasn't afraid, not once for her life. She was not uh, al contrario, to the contrary. She, this only fueled more fire to, to the rest of, of, her, of her life. So Elliot went on to conduct this exercise for nine more years as she was teaching the third grade. And then the next eight years, she taught it to seventh and eighth graders. And she ends up giving teaching in 1985. She moves away from Riceville mostly because she wants to conduct her eye color exercise for groups outside of school. In 1970, she demonstrated it for educators at the White House Conference on Children and Youth. ABC broadcast a documentary about her work. She has led training sessions at General Electric, Exxon, 
AT&T, IBM, and other corporations and has lectured to the IRS, the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Department of Education, and the Postal Service. She's spoken at more than 350 colleges and universities. She's even appeared on Oprah, on Oprah's show five times. On November 2016, uh, Elliot's name was added to BBC's annual list of 100 women. And you guys can still check out her work if you haven't. If you guys go to YouTube and just do a search for Jane Elliot, y'all can just go in there and see her experiment being conducted one of the clips um i think one of the one one of my favorite clips was only six minutes and it's from the 70s um and she's doing it to children but it's very fascinating and and you get a really 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 good insight it can make you feel uncomfortable but you know we've said before if you don't feel uncomfortable you're not growing and you're not learning so definitely check her work out and that is my story on jane elliott She's a fucking amazing teacher. She's badass. You know, I would like to hear from one of the original students from like the first, first study. Mm -hmm. Kind of hear what their their thoughts, their views are on it. Like now as adults, Mm -hmm. Um, because Jane is right. So black children and and I've seen these videos, right? I've seen them on YouTube and, and Facebook and stuff where Black parents are talking about how they have to teach their boys, their girls at like eight, nine years of age, which is like around Ariana, Alberto Nedaí's age, that um, they can never act like they're carrying a weapon. They, if they ever get stopped to immediately put their hands up, like they, 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 they have to walk them through this whole process of, of what it's like being black in America. And we expect black kids like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. That's just how they grow up. That's how they have to be raised. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. Because if a black kid is forced to have to grow up at the age of seven, eight, nine, and be told, don't ever play with your toy guns outside in the front yard. Don't ever play with your toy guns in the park. Don't ever put your hands in your pocket. Don't ever act like you're suspicious in any way, shape, or form, which kids, I mean, are, are weird. They're just randomly weird. My kids are weird. Um, then we should, and I, and I wholeheartedly say, we should... I don't want to say force because that's a different word, but we have to educate all kids mm-hmm. on critical race theory in America. Yeah. yeah. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. Sit in that discomfort. As a parent to a white skinned child, sit in that discomfort of your child having to ask you, why is it that this person who is brown or black is being treated less than me. And if you're not okay with that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to call you out on this, but you're fucking racist. Whether you accept it or whether it's internalized racism, I'm going to call it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, a whole lot of work, right? Because I mean, even if you learn about it, it's not the same thing as, as experiencing it. And, and that's again, right. Part of you know, privilege, but I think a great step is, um, you know, having more lessons on, on things that make us uncomfortable in, in school. There's, we have to start somewhere and it's just to better us. If you think about it, that lesson was done in 1968. How many things have happened since then, right? That's to show uh, us that racism is like so prevalent in America. Yeah. yeah. And, and for those of you listening outside of the country of the U.S., we don't want to be those people that are like think that the whole world is surround like you know rotates around the US. We're very conscious that these are issues that other countries face as well. But we can only talk to what we've experienced yeah. and we've seen ourselves here in our country. Um we're very well aware that it happens all over the world. And and if you feel comfortable to share that with us, please do so, because we want to know what is it like outside of the U.S.? How does your country handle race problems? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I you know, I can't when people all I know is what I see in my backyard. I can't. And honestly, with as far as like for me, it's like there's just so much going on in my scope that 
I, I, I need to get this figured out right before I start looking into other countries because it's too much of a problem for me. Um, seeing it in my backyard but hopefully with more stories like this and us um, talking more about people like Jane Elliott and I already forgot her name what Buffalo, Buffalo Calf Road Woman Buffalo Calf Road Woman <laughs> yes we yeah and she Jane Elliott has this awesome video or I, I this is the one that I've seen the most often of when she's on the Oprah show and she asks the audience how many of you would be okay with being treated as a black person is treated today raise your hands and like nobody nobody in the audience raised their hand so that's how you can fucking tell that people know that black treated black people are treated worse but they are still not willing to accept and and here's the thing is not accepting your privilege is part of the problem um, but Jean Elliott is a fabulous fucking teacher. Mm-hmm. She has some amazing videos. Check them out. Uh, Buffalo Calf Road Woman should be taught um, since first grade, if, in my opinion. I'm not a teacher, but I feel like every fucking kid should know about her. But she's we, a badass. We have lots of great uh, opinions for, um, uh, you say like a syllabus. So please hang out with us. We'll give you more ideas. Yeah, if you're a teacher and you like our ideas, please incorporate them into your syllabus and then let us know. Yeah, you know I have I, I know a lot of a uh, lot of uh, great teachers that implement so many cool things. Um, yeah. I know my friend is her lessons are dope. She's always talking about badass women. So yeah, she even like even at that carne asada, she told us about some, and me and Carmen are like, what? <laughs> yeah, I need. I have a couple of stories that I need to cover. So, <laughs> all right, you yes. guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Um, hope you guys had fun with us and we will see you next time. Yes, and happy holidays, you guys. We hope you're having a great time with your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening to us. And anything, anything else you have to add? Nope. See you next time, you guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye.